Hi, I'm Dennis Hester, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church Watauga, and we are grateful that you have tuned in to listen to these messages, either through our podcast or on our website. And as you listen to these, our prayer is that you would hear the Lord speak to you from His Holy Word. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can get on our website at fbcwatauga.org. From there, there's a place where you can plan a visit, you can learn more about our beliefs. You can also request prayer through the prayer request page. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. The most important thing that I'd communicate to you is as you listen to God's Word, that you find a place to get plugged into a local congregation, whether it's here at First Baptist or another local church where you live. If you'd like information or would like us to help you find a church home, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. And you can contact us through our Facebook page. So God bless you as you listen to His Word, and may the Lord encourage you in your walk. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct he should show his works are done in gentleness and from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Those of you that have been paying attention know that that's not this week's message. <laughs> that's last week's text. But I wanted to bring it to you to give context because when I finished, uh, last week's text ends verse Chapter 3 of James, verse 18 says, The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by all who cultivate peace. When I was uh, finished up, preparation for my sermon yesterday afternoon, I switched my computer over to a news website, and these big words appeared on the front of my screen Welcome to, to level six of Jumanji. <laughs> now, some of you I knew would get that reference, and some wouldn't. When I finished my sermon preparation, I opened the news websites and I saw what was happening in Atlanta and recognize that things, once again, uh, had taken another step. Uh, our nation was once again on fire. I wanna confess with you, and I know that many of you are in the same boat, I'm tired. We came through the end of winter, and you know oftentimes uh, we kinda get down a little bit during winter anyway, and we look forward to spring and summer. For me, I was looking forward to baseball season, and, and uh, we were right on the precipice of opening day of baseball season, of spring break, right before the official launch of spring when we entered into this COVID crisis, this pandemic that began to spread throughout our nation. And then, as we begin to see that finally wind down and our, our, our lives begin to get a little bit back to normal, we've had this cultural pandemic, this pandemic of, of, of racial inequality for racial fights. I don't know what you'd call it. It's, we've come out of one thing into the next. And I don't know, oftentimes, I don't know what to think. Just three Four weeks ago, we were celebrating and, and lifting up our first responders. We were talking about how our, our policemen and our firefighters and our EMS were on the front lines and they were still going to work and they were still serving their communities and, and we needed to honor them as heroes because of how they were facing the COVID crisis. 
And now we're told, especially with our police, that they're the enemy. We were told weeks ago not to gather in groups, and I've done three pandemic funerals that very few family members were allowed to attend. They, they had to all be done by Facebook, and then I saw last week three televised funerals with thousands in attendance. We, it's confusing, and it's tiring, and, and, and it's a struggle for us because we see fights on every side, whether it be because of your uh, alignment with your politics or the alignment of your, uh, because of your skin color. Uh, we, we were told that we're supposed to uh, not back anybody wearing certain color uniforms. I've been told that I should speak out against this. And I've also been told that I should keep quiet and listen and not say a word. And in all honesty, it is tiring. So where do we turn? What do we do How do we approach it? And once again, God's word gives us the answer. Now, I want to remind y'all, if you haven't been following along and paying attention, that this series of sermons entitled Practical Christianity from the book of James was laid on my heart in December when I was in North Carolina, sequestered alone, praying for God's direction for my sermon schedule for this year. It was the second week of December that the Lord placed on my sermon schedule for May the 15th a sermon entitled, How to Avoid Discrimination. I could not have planned that. Eight days before the murder of George Floyd, God put that message in my, on my sermon calendar. It wasn't a good idea that Dennis had to preach on that. It was something that was already laid out. And so when we see what's happening in our culture today, keep that in mind as we read these first two verses of James chapter four. Because when we read these verses, when I read verse one, it would be real easy to think, wow, pastor, no, you know, he picked that verse to preach today. And, and, and that would not be bad if a pastor preached this verse to pick today, this passage. But I think it gives it a lot more weight when we understand that God in his sovereignty six months ago planned that we'd be at this passage today. It's his message, it's his word to us, it's not my idea. So James chapter four, if you wanna read along with me, it'll also be up on the screen, I'll be reading from the CSB, our Christian Standard Bible. The scripture says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Remember, James is writing to the church, he's writing to Christians who were scattered abroad. Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. 
Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Therefore, there, there is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? What is this source of wars and fightings among us? What is it that creates division and strife, even among people who profess Jesus as their Savior and seek to walk in a relationship with the living God? What is this source of, of dissension and division that is found not just in the rest of the world, but even in the church? James is gonna deal with that issue as we walk through this. And, and I mentioned yesterday as I put out a little uh, preview of this message on Facebook that, that when I read that question, of course, I wanted James to help me lift my eyes and see what all the problems are out there. But what James does in this text is he causes us to look in the mirror and see what problems there are in here. The majority of this text, the majority of, of James's answer to that question and how we deal with this source of strife and wars between us is that we have to deal with issues in our own lives. And see, you know, the bottom line truth is that I can't fix you anyway. And I sure am not going to fix you by shouting at you on Twitter or Facebook. And yet that's where our culture finds itself at this point. To stand in front of someone and and, and cuss at them and, and call them all kinds of evil and say that that's how we're gonna resolve our differences. I wanna look at it, this, this passage breaks down pretty well in four key ideas, four key paragraphs. Uh, the first one being the first three verses. James is gonna tell us that the, our hostility toward one another is evidence that we're at conflict with God. Our hostility toward each other indicates that there's an issue in our own hearts, that we have an issue in here. We're not at peace as we looked at godly wisdom last week. We're not a people of peace, and we're not out cultivating peace because we first have to have peace in here. And so James puts it this way, don't they come, don't, don't these wars and fights come from your passions that wage, wage war within you? So the first piece of advice that we have on how to build this foundation so that we can have healthy relationships with one another, and this supersedes not just what's going on in our culture right now with, with the race riots and, and, and the arguments over, over whether to open or close stores because of the pandemic. This supersedes all of that. This, this really is foundational about how we can, we can have better relationships, healthy relationships with, with each other. So the first thing that we want to see here is our hearts deceive us when we are controlled by our basic passions. You see that word. Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? That word passion is... Uh, it speaks of our own selfish desires, those things that, that we want out of life, that, that we desire from our flesh. The word, in fact, is hedone. It's the Greek word where we get our word hedonism. It's this idea of unbridled passion that I'm gonna, I get so passionate about something that that's my sole focus. That's the only thing I can see. That's the only thing I can focus on. I'm gonna pursue that. 
It's easy to describe. You know, for me, I remember a time when I was pastoring in May, and I had been playing golf some, but a rancher up north of us had built a new golf course in Rising Star, Texas, right there on his place. And I want you to know, I became passionate about golf. For my birthday, my wife got me a golf cart at one point. Me and the, some of the deacons that played golf, every chance we got, we were, we were trying to get out there. We were trying to squeeze in time to go play golf because we were passionate about golf. And, and, and what happens when you get focused like that, it becomes consuming. That's the one thing you think about. That's the one thing that you focus on. And you pursue that. For some of us, we might get passionate about fishing. For a while, not too long ago, and I'm, there's a little self-reflection here, I guess. I was getting my outdoor exercise and getting my, 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 my relief by playing disc golf with some friends here in, in, in Watauga. And so I got really into that. And so I was thinking about disc golf. I was going to buy more and more disc. You know, when I first played with Stephen McKendry, I thought, he's crazy. He had these bags full of discs. You know, how many Frisbees do you need to play this game? Well, it didn't take long before I'd collected a bunch of them because when you become passionate about something, now, I'm, I'm looking over here to my left at this guitarist. You know, I, I, look at all those pedals up there. You, you start wondering, and I don't know how many more he has at home. The bottom line is when we get passionate about something, we go all in. But when we do that, we tend to lose focus. And, and, and that, that fleshly desire can then become controlling in our lives. Right now, there's some things going on in our culture that it's as though people can only see one side, one view, and we have blinders on. And, and, and we lose sight of truth. We lose sight of any other options. We lose sight of, of anybody else's view because we are so passionate. And when we become controlled by our base passions that wage war within us because inside of our own soul, inside of our own spirit, we know sometimes that we ought not do that. Here's an easy illustration of how we get focused on things. How many of you have ever bought a new car and then within a week you could not believe the number of people that had the same car as you, the same color? You had not seen that before, had you? But now you're driving around and they're all over the place because that's become your focus. You know, when, what happens is, is this is what's happened in our culture to some extent. When we begin to see racism in people, we begin to look for racism in people and we see it everywhere. You know, I was raised in a time when... Uh, you know, coming out of the, I was born in 67, so coming through the 70s, I, I was pretty well taught that, you know, the United States of America was a melting pot. We were all one nation. We, 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 we were told to not see people and not, not, not treat people differently because of uh, their background or the color of their skin or, or their race. And so we were all in it together. And of course, when I was nine years old, we had the bicentennial celebration, 1776. And we're celebrating as a nation. We're celebrating as a people. And the, 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 one of the key phrases that I remember from from my childhood and youth was melting pot. You know the key phrase today when it relates to these issues? It's, it is, uh, I lost it. It's, it's not division, but it is diversity. 
It's diversity. That's a key word. We're a diverse culture. And what just the language portrays the idea that we're noticing that we look at people for their differences, not for their commonality. I've said this before in, in context of religion. More and more time, I, I've rarely been had somebody come up to me and say, hey, what do we in Methodists have in common? They'll come up to me and say, what, what's different about Baptists and Methodists? We look for distinctions and differences. When we do that, what we find are differences that begin to separate us. When we're controlled by our own basic desires, our heart will deceive us. Second, when we seek fulfillment of our own basic desires in our own ways, our heart will deceive us. He says, you murder, uh, you desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. And so essentially, there's something that you want that you don't have, whether it be political power or whether it be uh, uh, something that, that is a physical good, uh, it, but you see something that you want and you don't have it, and so you covet and you, you murder and, and, and you do all kinds of things to try to obtain what you don't have. And essentially, when we allow ourselves to seek fulfillment for those desires in an ungodly way, we're deceived. Hear this. Pursuing a godly cause in an ungodly way is sin. It doesn't matter how just your cause is. If you pursue justice in an ungodly manner, it is sin. Just as I said a few weeks back, if you look at someone's, uh, for what's on the outside instead of what's on the inside, whether it has to do with the amount of money they make or the color of their skin, if you judge someone by what's on the outside, it's not just a bad idea, it's sin, okay? James wants us to understand that you cannot pursue the fulfillment of your pleasures, even good pleasures, even godly desires. You can't pursue them in an ungodly way. And when you do, you have sinned against God. So when we seek fulfillment of those desires by doing it our way, you're protesting a worthy cause, but you're doing it by burning down a building and stealing a TV set. You're fulfilling base, ungodly desires. Even in pursuit of a godly plan or a godly purpose in an ungodly way. Your heart deceives you if you're seeking to fulfill a godly desire in an ungodly way. Any desire in an ungodly way. Third, your heart deceives you when you don't trust God to fulfill your desires. He tells us here, you don't have because you don't ask. You haven't brought your, your, your plan, your, your, your spirit. You haven't brought your need to the Lord. And, and it's when you bring your needs to the Lord, your desires to the Lord, then that he will truly fulfill you. And so in verse, verse 2 there, he says, you, you fight and wage war. You don't have because you do not ask. And then finally, he says, your heart also deceives you when you pray with the wrong motives. So you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Many times we ask God's blessing to be poured out upon us because we've gotten in a financial mess. And the reason that we're in a financial mess is because we sought to have our desires fulfilled in an ungodly way. I'm guilty of this because sometimes I see something that I want. Have you ever done this? I mean, you confess with me. Have you ever seen something? You know, you really want that. Whether it's electronic, I mean, I'm an electronics guy. I'm, I'm, I don't mean to keep looking at my guitar guy over here. But, you know, some, sometimes we just decide we want that. 
We decide that we need that, don't we? And, and, and something inside of us kind of, you know, there's a little bit of pause when we think, you know, maybe I ought to pr- pray about this. Maybe, maybe I ought to seek the Lord. Maybe I ought to ask if this is the right thing to do. And, and then we think, no, no, I don't want to pray about it. Because if I pray about it, God's going to tell me no. So I'm just going to go buy it and then deal with the consequences afterwards. And so instead of seeking the Lord in all that we do, we, we do what we want to do. And then we come back to him and we're, Lord, I'm in a mess, fix me. Well, it's because you had the wrong motive in the first place. So to begin with, if we're going to deal with this issue of, of the struggle that we have between us, first we have to be at peace with God. We have to deal with our own jealous hearts and overcome our hedonistic desires. Because if we're driven by our desires, it is going to disrupt everything else that we do in our relationships with other people. Then we get down to verse 4. Man, does James d- deal us a blow here. You adulterous people. Do you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Wow. Why in the world would James look at the church and say, you adulterous people? Let's just be real honest right here. Because we understand that when we stand with a broken heart and a broken spirit, and we say, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. Far too often, what we have in the back of our minds is something like this, Lord, I surrender everything over to you, except that, but not that. I remember as a young man when I first was really growing in my faith in high school, and I had the sense that, that uh, God was calling me to the ministry, I remember thinking, Lord, I, you know, I, I, whatever you want from me, I'll, I'll give you everything. Just don't call me into the ministry. <laughs> then he calls me to ministry. And I knew that God was leading me that direction. And so then my prayer was, all right, Lord, I'll surrender to the ministry. Just let me be a missionary. I don't want to be a pastor. <laughs> I'd seen what happened to pastors. <laughs> How often do we come to God and say, Lord, I surrender all but not this. Far too often we'll say, I surrender all but not this sin. I, I don't want to give this up, but I'll surrender everything, Lord. Just, just don't touch this area of my life. That's not what surrender to God means. That's why James looks at the church, looks at Christians and says, you adulterous people. You say that you love God. You say that you're married to God, but you're really still married to this world. You still yearn for the, the, the physical fulfillment or the, the, the power or the, the, the recreation of this world. You still long for this world, even though you say that you are following Christ, that you've surrendered your life to him. And he says to be a friendship with this world is hostility toward God. Verse five is notoriously difficult to translate. And it really has a lot to do with punctuation. The original text didn't have uh, punctuation in the, in the New Testament, in New Testament Greek. And so uh, scholars kind of struggle with this issue. It, punctuation matters, doesn't it? If I tell you, come eat, kids, that means something different than saying, come eat, kids. Right? 
Where you put that pause and, and how you punctuate that matters. And there's a struggle with this text in the translation about exactly what does he mean. He says in verse 5, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely. And, and there's a, oftentimes a misconception that, that he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. And yet James, when you look in the context of the book of James, James really doesn't develop a... a uh, uh, teaching on the Holy Spirit. What James is talking about here is what we saw back in uh, chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, when he was talking about the spirit that dwells within our human flesh that can lead us toward ungodly wisdom, evil wisdom. And so what James is communicating here is that within us as a human being, we have a spirit that tends to envy, a, a spirit that tends to be jealous of others. And so, how are we going to deal with this ungodly spirit, this adulterous spirit that dwells within us? He quotes from Proverbs 3, 34, then, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so, he begins to give us a hint there of where he's headed with this, and then he gives us three commands in James chapter 3, verse 7. The first one is this, submit to God. Submit your adulterous spirit, your heart to God. Submit your ways to God's ways, your will to God's will. As a, a, young, as a college student, I remember attending a, a, a weekend retreat that uh, uh, it was a real spiritual uh, development time for me. And, and one of the things that the, the, the leader was talking about was how we as uh, Christians often have to come to this point where we make a decision. Are we going to take God serious? Are we going to completely surrender our lives over to him? Or are we going to continue to, to uh, leave attachments to our surrender? And what he encouraged us to do was take out a sheet of paper and write down and this is not a bad exercise. And I'm not a visual person, so I didn't actually physically write it down like many of my friends did. But write down everything that you, you have. So, you know, I had a car. I had, you know, $75 in my bank account, you know, whatever it was. Write down everything that you have. Write down all of the talents that you believe God has given you. Write down all of the, the, the abilities God's given you. Write it out. And then write down the plans that you have for your future and say, you know, this is what I want to do in my future. This is where I want to go. This is what I want to be. And then take that and, and, and sign at the bottom and say, Lord, all of all that I am that I know of myself, all that I have and all that I ever dreamed to be, I sign it over to you right now. I surrender, submit my life to you. You do with me as you please. I'm putting my life in your hands. Sign it. Stick it in an envelope, stick it in the front of your Bible. I didn't do that physically because, as I said, I'm not really a visual learner, but I did that mentally. Now, that wasn't the last time. There's been times since then where uh, things have come up and I begin to allow my heart to be drawn to, to other passions and other desires, and I have to consciously come to a point where I say, am I going to submit that area of my life over to the Lord? I wasn't married at the time that I first made that decision. So once I began to, uh, got married and my life began to change, am I gonna submit my relationship with my spouse to the Lord and live this out his way? Then, then we had children. Lord, are they my children or are they your children that you've given me to steward? I had to make a conscious decision. That was easy, those of you that know my story, because Katie was born with all those illnesses and birth defects, and we didn't know if we were gonna have her the second day of her life or the fourth day of her life. And so we made that con I had to make that conscious decision. She's not mine. She's yours. 
Lord. I'm going to trust you with my children. And, and that's really what this means. Submit to God. Make a conscious decision that you're going to bring your life and you're going to lay it before the Lord and you're going to submit it to God. When you do that, you become all his and that adulterous spirit begins to be driven away. Now, everything up to this point, the, the, the first six verses, essentially, James has dealt with issues that arise from within our own spirits, uh, our own flesh, our own fleshly passions, our own fleshly desires. When we submit all of that to God, James gives us a reminder here because the second command that he gives us is resist the devil. For all of this time before, James has not been giving us the excuse, the devil made me do it. <laughs> but he does recognize that when we fully submit our lives over to God, the battle's not over. Because we have an enemy then who knows our weaknesses. We have an enemy that is going to come attack us in our minds. We have an enemy that's going to put thoughts in our head. We have an enemy that is going to place uh, visuals in front of us. We live in a visual society where, you know, everything in the world can be piped into your home right now, either through a video game or, or through uh, the internet or through cable television, every ungodly visual, every ungodly desire can be pumped in your head and you can be assured that the, the enemy, Satan, wants to use those things to derail you, to distract you, and to lead you away from the Lord. And so James's second command here, after submit to God, resist the devil. Tell him no. Quote scripture. Resist the devil and he'll flee because once you've given your life fully over to God, he has no place in your life. And then third, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Well, isn't that the same thing as the first point? No, it's not. I, I, the first point is coming to a place in your life where you make a decision that I'm gonna give everything over to the Lord. The third point here, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you, is focused on you spending time in a relationship with him every single day. I, I, this is just truth. It is easy for a married couple when you are busy to begin to grow apart. I find that, and Susan and I have a great relationship, but I find that every summer when she's off from school, and especially when we go on vacations where it's just she and I, where we're together, the more I'm near her, the more that I spend time with her, the more I draw near to her, the more and more and more I fall in love with her. We heard from uh, someone this past couple weeks that uh, their marriage was really on the rocks. We'd been praying for them, and uh, they were concerned. They, they felt like they had extremely busy lives. They had a couple kids who were involved in every kind of sports you can imagine, and, and their, their work relationships took them different directions. One of them traveled for work. One of them stayed at home but had a, had a, had a busy, busy job, and, and they were really struggling. Their marriage was really on the rocks, and... Uh, this last week, we heard that, the, that COVID-19 was the best thing in the world for their marriage because the kids had nowhere to go, their jobs were put on hold, and they were at home together, and they fell in love with each other all over again. See, when, when, that same principle is true in our relationship with the Lord. When we make it our daily job to spend time with the Lord, spend time in his word, We'll draw near to him, and he'll draw near to us. And we fall in love all over again with the Lord. But if our busy lives keep us headed so many different directions, 
we'll begin to fall, we'll begin to separate, and we end up back where James had to yell at us and say, you adulterous people. How do you deal with an adulterous spirit? Submit to God, resist the devil, and draw near to the Lord. Third, how to build this healthy foundation for healthy relationships? Flee from sin and pursue a humble relationship with God. Look at verse eight, the middle of verse eight. He says, cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He will exalt you. If, if we continue to walk in habitual sin, we choose to walk away from God in habitual sin, it will destroy our spiritual health. You cannot have a, a, a healthy relationship with those outside of, of, of you if you don't have a healthy relationship with the one who's inside of you, if you don't have a healthy relationship with the Lord. So remember our theme here? How, how, what's the, the source of these wages and these fights that are among you? Well, first, it has to do with our, our desires and allowing our lives to be controlled by our hedonistic desires. Second, it has to do with our adulterous spirit. Third, it has to do with our sin. When we habitually choose to sin against God and walk away from him, it's like a cancer that eats at our hearts. It's like a cancer that destroys us. When I know that I'm living in sin, I'm angry, I'm depressed, I'm frustrated. And I would, I'll be real honest with you. If you can live in habitual sin and you are not stirred up and upset and it doesn't mess you up, then I'm gonna suggest that you're not even a born-again believer. Because if the spirit of the living God dwells within you and you can habitually live in sin, the spirit of God is gonna deal with your heart and he's gonna address that sin and you're gonna be miserable. And so flee from sin. Wash your hands. Boy, isn't this a great word for COVID-19 generation. Wash your hands. It's a, essentially, he's saying, stop your sin. Stop what you're doing. Cleanse yourself. It's a great illustration that, that comes directly from the, the spread of this virus. I was thinking about this yesterday. This is a respiratory virus, right? Well, why do I have to wash my hands? And generally, that's a con, you have to wash your hands because of contact. But we know from the studies of this virus that it can live on our hands, for a period of time. And, and then maybe I'm not even, maybe I'm pretty healthy. And so I've got this the virus that has attached itself to me. Literally, uh, most people don't know that we, at every given moment, you have thousands and, and some would say millions of viruses and bacteria that live on your body. They're healthy viruses. Your body needs them because those healthy ones, those good viruses, beat up the bad viruses. But ultimately, we know that this, this disease, this COVID-19 can live on our hands. And maybe it doesn't affect me, but if I don't wash my hands and cleanse my hands and then, then I touch something over here, Wendy picks it up, and Wendy's pretty healthy, so it's not gonna bother her much, but then she touches something and her grandmother picks it up and her grandmother can get the disease and die from it. And, and that's what sin does. Sin is, is like a cancer. It can spread if you don't deal with it. So wash your hands. Some would say, well, you know, what I do in, in my personal life, it doesn't affect other people. Yes, it does. 
If, if you're a married man and you make the decision that you know, you're going to go have your needs met, your desires met in an ungodly way, in an adulterous relationship, it doesn't just affect you. It affects your spouse and affects your children and affects your parents and affects her parents. And it, uh, oftentimes it affects generations down the line. Sin is like a cancer that has to be dealt with. Cleanse your hands. And then purify your hearts because it's not just about what you do, but it's about what's in your heart. If you've got sinful thoughts, sinful ideas in your heart, allow the Lord to root those out and confess them and ask forgiveness for them. Because what ends up happening is eventually what's in your heart comes out of your mouth. And then you're really going to end up in trouble. So it's not just what you do that needs to be dealt with, it's, it's what's in your heart that needs to be dealt with. And so ask the Spirit of God to examine my heart. Lord, look inside of me and see if there's any wicked way in me. And if there is, Lord, show me so that I can do what? Listen to his words here. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Why in the world would he say that? Does James want Christians to walk around with a scowl on their face and be upset and in tears all the time? No. James already has indicated that God desires that we be filled with joy. He connected to the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 3 where Paul tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Those are what ought to come out of the Christian's life. Well, what is this issue of mourning and weeping and being miserable. What James is saying is that when you see sin in your life, when you, when you know that you've sinned against God with your hands or with your heart, you need to be humble before God and you need to be broken before God and you need to weep over your sin. We ought not be sad, tearful people all the time, but we ought to be sad when we know that we've broken the heart of God and we've sinned against him and sinned against those whom he loves. And then finally, humble yourself. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Come humbly before the Lord and confess your sin. Lay your sin out before him and let him deal with it. And when you, when you approach God in a humble way, he will cleanse you of your sin. He'll wash you of your sin. And, and he'll continue to create that new heart within you. So the big picture how do we deal with these wars and fightings that are among us? First, look in our own hearts and our own hedonistic desires and deal with our own hearts. Second, draw near to God. and Resist the devil that, that we can overcome an adulterous spirit. Third, flee from sin and walk in a humble relationship with the living God. And then James changes here. He pivots just a little bit in verse 11 and 12. And this is where we're going to end. Because he says, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And here this comes back to this idea of humility. If we set ourselves up as a person who's going to look out at, and be a judge to everybody else, and we're going to look around and say, see what they're doing, that's wrong. See what they're doing, that's wrong. See what they're doing, that's wrong. And, and what we have done is we've positioned ourselves to be the judge and jury instead of examining our own hearts and dealing with our own issues. 
And let's look at this word here because in the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, the first word there is, is don't criticize one another. That's really not a, a great translation. The word criticize can be a positive or negative in its connotation. You could criticize in a healthy way my message this morning. You could come to me and be critical of it and say, Pastor, here's something you could have done better. And you could have done it with the right heart and you could have done it in a way that helped me become a better pastor and a better preacher. But that's not what this word means. This word means to speak evil of. In fact, that same word that's translated criticize there is the same word that is translated later in this verse, defame. And so this word appears three times in verse 11. In other translations, you'll see it translated as to speak against uh, all, in all three places. Another translation uh, uses the word slander to translate that word. Other translations say to speak evil of. And so the idea here is don't speak evil of brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't speak against brothers and sisters in Christ. Because when you speak against a fellow believer, you set yourself up as the judge, and instead of being concerned about doing what God's called you to do, you're just wanting to judge everybody else on what they're doing. See, the temptation this week, the last couple weeks, oftentimes, and, and for me, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm driven by the idea of truth. When I see things that aren't true, I see decisions being made on falsehoods, it drives me nuts. If somebody posts untrue statistics out there and they want to change the world based on un, untruth, that absolutely drives me crazy. So I want to shout from the rooftops. What I'd like to shout is, you know, some things like Paul did. He told the, Paul told the Galatians, you idiots! Who's bewitched you? Who's tricked you? But that's not healthy. It is unhealthy for us if we want to have a, a peaceful healing relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's unhealthy for us to call them idiots. Right? Wouldn't you say that? It's unhealthy to do it publicly on Twitter. It's unhealthy to do it on Facebook. It's unhealthy to do it in a microphone. Now, what might be healthy if you actually want to build relationships is to sit down with those whom you love, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and have conversations. And, and, and sit down and say, you know, this is, this is what God's word says. Or, or sit down and say, you know, this is what, this is what the truth is. Now let's, let's examine what's going on in our world and let's make some decisions based on what's true. But you have to approach that, as James says, with a humble heart. Because if you don't, if we don't come from a position of humility, recognizing our own sinful desires, our own adulterous spirits, and our own tendency to sin against God, we're not going to ever be peacemakers and see reconciliation. And in fact, James ends this section in verse 12 by pointing us back to the only one who can make a difference the only one who can give hope, the only one who can save. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. Ultimately, James wants us to, to be reminded that there's only one who has absolute, complete control. He's the one who created everything in the first place. He's the one who created you and I. He's the one who loves us. And he is the one who is able to save us. Our hope as a, as a believer, my hope is rooted in the God who created me. Only he can save me. Our hope 
as a family, as a church, church family, is in God. If we spend all of our time talking about what they are doing out there, whoever they are, whether they is your spouse or they are the rioters, or they are, are, are the, the politicians who you don't agree with, whoever they are, if we spend all of our time worried about and judging them instead of examining our own hearts and judging ourselves and allowing the word of God to deal with us, we engage in fruitless effort that accomplishes nothing. But when we're willing to allow God's word to speak to our hearts, we're willing to deal with our own Issues, our own hedonistic desires, our own adulterous spirits, our own sin, it lays a foundation for us to have good, healthy relationships with others where there can be healing and restoration. Now, ultimately, salvation, the end result that we want is only gonna come through God, the one and only one who can save. So we have to put our faith and trust in him in the midst of all of this. As we come to the end of this message, I, I understand that this, this message has not, it, it's not been one that, that causes you, to, it doesn't draw you into a, a place of, of revival or a, a, essentially a, a place where we come uh, to, to, uh, to give our lives over to Christ. Not evangelistic in any way. But I pray that God's word deals with your heart because we can see revival if we allow God to deal with our own issues and our own sin. So it may be that, that through God's word, God has dealt with your heart and you need to confess your sin before him. And you need to surrender your own evil desire and, and, and give your heart over to the Lord. If you have never put your faith and trust in Christ as your savior, I'm gonna plead with you to begin there, to make a decision that you wanna follow Christ instead of follow your own ways and your own desires. You wanna trust Christ to fulfill and meet your every need. If you have a prayer request, we, we, we're not doing the traditional invitations at this time because of our, our uh, restrictions from COVID. But if you have a prayer request uh, and you would like for us to pray for that request, maybe something that's from the message has triggered that today, we'd encourage you to get in touch with Kevin or I in particular. Find us on the website, email us directly or email us through the contact page and we'll be faithful to pray for you. If you'd like counseling or you'd like to sit down with us, the offices are open and so you can make an appointment. We'd be glad to meet with you and just sit down with you. And, and maybe you're, you're like I am, you're struggling with what's going on uh, in the news. You're struggling with what's going on in the world and you just need somebody to talk about it. And we'd be glad to sit down with you and talk to you about it and just pray together and uh, seek the Lord in it.